Welcome to the Phil and the Kid podcast. I'm Phil Gardner. And I'm Spiro Vesalis. And today we're talking about the bee in Burr. Was that good or should I do it again? That's fine. That's fine. Okay. For some reason you can have it in one take, but... Oh, also, one of my clients told me I should we should be on uh, Spotify podcast. Yeah, we should be on Spotify. I don't know why we're not. I'm going to no. make a note right now because I literally forgot to make that note. Yeah, Spotify Sorry, podcast Sean. would be big. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to get on Spotify podcast. That's our our next step. Um, so right now we're on iTunes podcast, YouTube, Google Play, go. Podbean, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. But I think our next step is to get on Spotify Oh, for sure. So that everybody could uh, could listen to us on Spotify, you know? Are we talking right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, we started. <laughs> I think we started. We started half an hour ago, and I'm just now getting here? Yep. Sick. Okay. Uh, so we're back in the booth. Back in the Filling booth. Filling the kid. Back in the booth. That's it. It's exciting That's times. Been a, it's been a long, busy week. Yeah. A lot, yeah. Of, a lot of client work. Yeah. A lot of showings. A lot mm-hmm. of tours. Yep. I feel like a tour bus driver this week. Like, I lost my voice. You can maybe still hear it a little bit. I lost my voice like two or three days in a row. You were a little sick too earlier in the week. Yeah, it didn't help the whole process. No. And then just kind of going on a we do these uh we do these like three hour property tours where uh we take kind of like a new client and it's like a fast track education session. A little bit like drinking from a fire hose and you have to listen to Phil talk for basically three hours straight. Which is not fun. He knows. He knows. <laughs> You get to listen to me talk for three hours straight. We go through some properties that are on the market, some properties that are uh, under pro, you know, under renovation, so you can see the whole life cycle of a deal. Tell you why it's cool, why it's not, what properties work, what properties don't, what's happening in the area, et cetera, et cetera. So I had, uh, I guess I'm just talking about my week now, but we yeah. had a couple of those last week um, that were very, very interesting. And again, lost my voice seeing the same properties and talking about the same properties a few times in a row and uh, going in and had lots of construction sites, lots of dust. So that was, did you have uh, any offers on those? We're putting in one offer, not from like a tour tour client, uh, but another client that I've been working with. We have uh, one property that we're considering. I think they're looking at offers on Thursday. So we're going to hang out and wait till wait till Thursday, but I don't think it's going to be too competitive. This one is like uh, an estate sale or like a power of attorney type of thing. Oh, nice. So the uh, the mom passed away in the home, which is putting a little bit of a stigma on it to keep those end users away. And then uh, the, the property was like in disrepair for years. The roof is sagging. It's been leaking all over the place. There's mold in every single room on the top floor mm-hmm. of the house. So What's a lot asking? of uh, 645. 645? I know. <laughs> Where do you find these? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even that sketchy. well that's not a bad thing though no uh, it needs a lot of work right oh i just ate the mic it needs a lot of work (laughs) but it's not um it's not sketchy (laughs) that's that's the biggest thing semi-detached two-story property three-car parking it's only 60 years old too it's in one of a, a little bit of a newer subdivision by toronto standards um and i don't think there's there's not too much too much interest we were there and i uh Billy, another agent from our, our brokerage, was showing the property at the same time. No, really? Client, yeah. <laughs> I'm standing across the street with my client showing him, like, the part, the, the roof sag and everything. And I see Billy's car pull up. I'm like, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
they weren't there for long. It was a lot of work. So I think his clients were uh, on to onto something else pretty quickly. And then same same time when I was there showing it. Well, that's, there was what, another. that's what you get. Like we we spoke about this on the last podcast. How you got a property for six seventy one. Mm-hmm. When you get those properties that are, especially I want to say under seven fifty, yeah. uh, under seven hundred mainly under seven fifty depending on the pocket. Like if you're in yeah. $1.2 million pockets and you're getting it for 700, it definitely needs a lot of work. <laughs> it probably needs to be probably torn down be if torn that's down. the case. Yes. But uh, even if you're in like 900,000, 800,000 pockets and there's 650, 700, that you're looking at a lot of work for that yeah. property. So these aren't, these aren't turnkey. You're not going to just walk in and, you know, throw a bed down and sleep. You're probably going to want to... No. You're probably going to want to gut the place or at least change a majority of... Of the features in the in the that oh, are yeah. currently in the place, most most of our projects see brand new flooring. Half the place is getting, I mean, at least some patchwork in terms of drywall repair, um, new flooring, painting throughout, new light fixtures throughout, new kitchens, new bathrooms, like a pretty extensive renovation. Not not like tearing everything down to the studs and going from there, but pretty at least lipstick wise, a lot of the work needs to be done. And this is where you know we're able to get a good deal sometimes because we cut out a whole segment of the market all these end user types that want uh, at least something that's move in ready and maybe they can start working on themselves while they're, while they're living in or something that's like done to the nines and ready to go. That's not our target for this stuff. If it were, you'd hear us talking far more about that million dollar price point and plus not six hundreds, seven hundreds. We also do work in that Mm -hmm. million dollar range, but that's more of end user stuff. It's, it's less, uh, I guess less interesting for investors. It's more it's yeah. more just all what you want, what you need, and what you're looking for in a property. An investor can never really compete with the the end user buyer who's uh, not necessarily operating on numbers yeah. when when we're talking about their, their final offer number, they're operating more on emotion, right? And then uh, so we met earlier when was it? Later last week, I guess, after the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. met up in Liberty Village, your home. The my hood. The, L- the LV, the three, three brewers, three brewers, just a yeah. good, good quiet spot sometimes to just bunker down middle of the day, smash really a beer. Really cheap, really cheap beer. <laughs> what was that, like five liters know, five. for $40? Oh yeah, it was nuts. We did not drink the five liters during a semi-work meeting-ish yeah. type of thing, Pod- podcast meeting, if you will. Yeah, a little bit Needed of a... Needed some, some liquid creativity. It was a quarter four meeting. Yeah. What, what can we do? <laughs> Where yeah, do we exactly. go from here? It was nice, though. I love Liberty Village. It's a good spot. Boom. Yeah. A lot of condos. Holy. Yeah. Your uh, little, like, your, uh, what is it? Townhomes? Towns, yeah. The towns are just all taken over by condos right around. Oh, yeah. There's the, the one corner in and out of uh, Liberty on East Liberty and Strong. There's, like, one on each corner and then recessed a little bit. There's, like, one or two more condos going up. And I saw somebody all got, like, a ticket, a, a little bicycle. <laughs> What? What was that little like? You had a picture on Instagram. Oh my gosh! <laughs> our our property <laughs> it was a management. It yeah, it was a tricycle. Some poor kid. Our property management has been just on a rampage lately. With uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people using parking spots that aren't actually parking spots. So they've been doing. They've been on on top of those guys, and then a lot of guys put like some storage or like they keep their tires in their parking spot or something like that. So they're literally putting uh they put that note on every single post in the garage and then individually on people's items and like to the point where there's this poor little pink tricycle <laughs> got a note that's basically saying this is absolutely unacceptable. <laughs> you need to remove this from the parking spot immediately. <laughs> yeah, check out his uh 
what is it at phil yeah, phil g dot re yeah, yeah this this poor little girl is gonna be devastated when she gets back <laughs> to her tricycle when she when she looks on your instagram yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so today Precisely. i'm wearing uh one of our other shirts save the deals save, save the deals from I'll, the i'm gonna do a little quick turnaround again the new phil and the kid fall collection you got for those listening i just showed the back there's a big logo on it if you want to look at our faces or you want everybody else to look at our faces while you walk around. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little vain, but that's just, okay. yeah, just a touch. But save the deals. I mean, that's that's what we go for. Save the seals, save the deals. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, so last uh, week I uh, I was in a few meetings. There was, I think, four different uh, client or potential client meetings. They went really well. And uh, it, it, those meetings usually are for people that are uh, at the beginning of their investing process uh, they're just kind of trying to learn more uh, what does what is investing in real estate uh, it, the average person won't know much about it just like the average person won't know too much about stocks or other ways to invest uh, so so those sessions are usually an hour uh, my sessions last week were a lot longer mm-hmm. uh, I would say like they averaged an hour and a half two hours but that's just because the people who meet up are very interested in it asking a lot of questions and uh, being proactive. So they, they come prepared. Everybody brought their own books, uh, pens, different questions were already written down and explained. Uh, I, like to, I like to share some different books that they could read. Mm-hmm. Um, I show them some deals that we've worked through, what to look for and where I helped them in the process, which um, it usually ends up with them being pretty happy and, uh, and right. wanting to uh, kind of fast forward and fast track their way into it because a lot of them do realize that the longer you wait in real estate, the more barriers pop up. Yep. So, and uh, we're seeing it right now too. There's not as many, I would say, um, deals on the deals on, on the market. market. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a weird dry September. There's a, a few here and there, like the one I uh, like the one I mentioned that we're looking at uh, making an offer on. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been a little bit tough to find uh, to find some deals this this fall. They're still so out far. there. They're still out there, and I think it's just because the market's really hot right now. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're seeing. Uh, a lot of end users buying right now before, I guess, uh, Christmas break and, and the holidays and whatever, you know, New Year. Exactly. People don't really want to move around that time or when it starts snowing. You want to kind of yeah. bunker down for the winter. So you see, what is it, September, October get really busy. And then uh, November, the final kind of transactions happen where December is a lot more quiet. Yeah. December. And then at the end of January, it starts kind of rolling again, where mm-hmm. you get February and March and then full force again. Yep. So, yeah, so that's what happened last week. I uh, also did a home inspection. Well, I didn't actually do the home inspection. I was at the home <laughs> inspection because uh, legally... You're not actually a home inspector. No, I'm not. But uh, that was pretty cool. It's always cool watching home inspectors. They know so much about the property. And oh, yeah. Everybody could learn something from them. It's so nice just kind of following them. Some of the around. tools these guys have are cool, Oh, too, so right? cool. Like the, the, the heat. Yeah, the heat the, the heat, heat camera gun, is my yeah. favorite thing. We it's had so cool. uh, there was one one time our guy had a uh, there's a little bit of an addition in one of the properties with a a porch on top of it that you access from the unit above, and we were in the bedroom that was part of the addition, and it did not look it like at all there was any kind of moisture damage. You could not see any leaks at all. He goes and he points the gun the, the gun the the camera the heat camera towards the ceiling. And in the camera lens, you see this gigantic, what looks like a big black pool in the middle of the, in the middle of the roof. And he was basically like, listen, you don't have a leak yet, but this is literally, you're looking at it developing, right? 
not as so I would never have thought to do that. No. <laughs> or thought to use those tools. And like the moisture meters they have for the basements are oh, always so huge. Cool. Yeah, just looking at the air intake and yeah. you know the difference. I think they said it's something around uh five degrees difference. Uh five to ten degrees is where you want to be from the intake to the mm. you know where they where it comes out. Lots of learning. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> learning. It's it's really cool. So so that's always interesting and and the uh, home buyers our clients were there too. So they learned a lot from it. Yeah. Um it's we're good happy. When you have a guy that will, like, he'll talk you through, he'll, he'll yeah, walk you through yeah. the process as he's doing the You home. can tell he really liked what he was doing yeah, too and good. he just really enthusiastic about it. So it's that was really good. helpful to the buyer. And everything went well, so there's no uh no issues and uh, <laughs> that's good going forward. Good. I've also been playing a lot of FIFA lately. It just came out. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been a little bit, you know. Spiro's FIFA addiction. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty addicted. and I, I don't think it's going to change. It's such a good game. Yeah. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Let's not I'll, talk I'll jump FIFA on the Modern right Warfare train when that's out. Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll leave that one alone. Already had it pre-ordered. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> we'll have the, the Phil and the Kid, I don't even know, Modern Warfare. And yeah, maybe we'll start group. streaming on Twitch or there something. <laughs> It's on, not a stream you uh, want to watch, trust one? me. What's it's a rough stream. called? Mixer. Which? Mixer. That's where oh, uh, Ninja is, is now. Gotcha. Yeah, the sound with Mixer. Is that a streaming service? Yeah. Like they're trying to take on Twitch? Yeah, it's oh, like Microsoft boy. though or something. Like, I don't know who. Well, maybe if it, it comes. So it's, it's pretty. Stock on Xbox or something, then maybe. I don't they, know. I don't know what it I is. I don't know. Trying Anyways. to take on the Twitch giant is an interesting move. Today we're going to be talking about the Burr process. We, we yeah. brought it up in uh, past podcast but today we're gonna dive deeper into it um so one letter at least yeah one one letter we're gonna focus on the b which stands for buy, buy. surprise <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all about buying and and this is this is what i like to tell my clients is it's the most important part of your deal is, is buying i mean you can argue that renovations or rent or refinancing and obviously repeating of are all very important but if you do buy properly and you get a good deal, a good area, you know the upside of it, no matter what happens in your process, no matter what hiccups come along the way in the renovation pro- process, rent process, mm-hmm. refinancing process, and so on, you're always going to have that wiggle room to make a great deal good or a good deal great. Yeah, you build yourself in a lot of safety by buying Huge correctly. safety net, yes. So, so that's, that's a really important thing to look at and, and buying might be one of the more confusing uh, things and that's where a lot of inexperienced investors sort of miss out that's where, where a lot of people buy and they get excited and they might not have the the proper um, uh, team around them supporting them looking for these properties and so on giving them good advice and they buy a property getting excited because they're like real estate's always a good investment i know i'm gonna make money it's not gonna be too hard yeah. And they just kind of jump the gun, which is, it's great to have that enthusiasm, but you quickly learn that real estate isn't always actually for the most part, it could not be that great of a deal if you don't have that solid foundation behind you. Yeah. Especially like in, in Toronto for using Toronto as an example over the past quite a few years, right? People have just been assuming any, any deal you did in the city is going to appreciate, right? Any, any deal is going to be always going up in value because it's Toronto and it's safe and it's great, right? There were a lot of guys that got caught in the bottom of bottom of 2016, early 2017 before that foreign buyer tax came in and the yeah. the market took a tumble and just kind of got caught up in the heat and said, "Oh, I'm just I'll buy anything." And at the time, you could have bought anything and it would more or less anything and it would have worked. And then come mid 2017 when they didn't think 
about the rest of the life cycle of the deal, a lot of guys had to let go of a lot of properties at a loss. Yeah. And that's where buying and having a a, a thought-out plan ahead of time before you buy and then when you buy is going to have a huge impact as well. And you see even minor details that you might miss. Um, I was with a client last week and they told me how they bought a condo and they didn't realize it was facing north, which is nobody might think that means Mm -hmm. anything. And to, you know, 50, 60, 70% of the population, it might not mean nothing. But when you're facing east and west, you get the sunset, sunrise. And in a condo, that could be very special. Yep. You get that nice lighting just shining through your whole place. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about condos now that have big windows yep. too, which are 90% of the newer built condos. They're all just open concept. So you get that nice light. So uh, my client was, was talking to me about it and saying how m- maybe if they were more informed, if they thought about it more, they would have picked an east or west side, even though it might have been a little more expensive mm-hmm. because now the rents aren't as high. Yep. So there's little things like that, that that initial buy yeah. stage is super important. So just circling back to like keeping it on condos for a second mm-hmm. as well, thinking of like a, a southern exposure. When I used to live in, in City Place, that was a massively important thing for that. My, I mean, it was a little bit important for myself. We had a high story and we had a great view of the lake when we were there. So when you think of south versus all of your other directions in a building, southern exposure could equate to quite a bit more value in the condo. One thing a lot of people don't think about, however, and we learned this the hard way when we were there, was all of the potential buildable space Mm -hmm. between you and the water. And in in our case, they ended up building, I mean, in the time that we were there, one or two, and I can can see another three, four condos being built uh, in the future in the available area, if you're not directly on the water and there is any buildable land in front of you, it's going to get, so it's going to get built right yeah. at, at one point or another, especially in, in, in Toronto. So if that's something that you're banking on again, making sure that you're paying attention to that ahead of time. So there's a bunch of little things like this, that being very informed can help you with. And that might, it usually means doing your homework and surrounding yourself with people that have been in this scenario and know what to look for in, different outcomes there it's not going to all be cookie cutter there's no one way of doing something and every way every time every single client is the same it works yeah there's always differences every property you buy there's differences you're going to have different learning experiences and so on so again can't stress this enough the b in burr is i don't know do you agree with me it's more than likely the most important part. They're all, They're important. all important. They're all important. It's like However, one A, one B, one C. Exactly, B. right? But it's that piece that if you build yourself in enough margin from up front can save you from problems throughout all of the other all of the other items, right? You can't necessarily renovate your way out of a $100,000 purchasing mistake, right? Exactly. And it does take, so, so to touch on that, that $100,000 purchasing mistake, might not bother you in the long run, but in the first four years, three years, until it yeah. values there, uh, appreciates more, you're not going to be seeing that money back. And yeah. then that repeat stage is going to be put on hold three or oh, four huge. years. You, yeah, you it, want that repeat stage happening as soon as possible, nine to 12 months. Yeah. It becomes more of a traditional buy and hold rental at that point without the burr strategy involved at all because there is there is no repeating in that. No. Right? There's no room left to repeat. Which is still fine. You're still, yeah. You still have an investment. It'll be okay, but you're not going to grow your portfolio of properties mm-hmm. really quick, which you can in the birth. That's the whole point of the yep. birth strategy. So the birth strategy, um, for those who don't know, 
uh, where, where did it originate from? Is that bigger pockets? Bigger coined, pockets coined, coined it. Turn? Coined the term. It's been a, it's been it's around been a, a strategy that's used in the commercial or like large multifamily space for as long as I can think of. I know we have a different term uh, at the office. We have a little booklet that we hand out, and it's pretty pretty similar. It's just it's different same. terminology. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different people will have different terminology. Depends yeah. where you come from. We chose Burr because. We think the mass majority of people who uh, do listen to real estate podcasts will already know that term. Yeah. We can uh, we can always push towards bigger pockets too, and that's something that you know. How many times do they talk about that per episode? Oh yeah, that's 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 the favorite strategy of of many, right? Yeah. Be- and it with merit, right? With because it because it works because it allows you to leverage your existing capital on multiple deals over the course of a shorter period of time, right? Instead of waiting and waiting and waiting for that. Uh, the ability to then refinance a property in the, in the long term, you're you're adding in the value up front that you're going to be able to pull that cash back out. So the first step in B, mm-hmm. uh, and it might sound pretty vague, but it would be buying right. And and you know you might be listening to this and thinking, what what does that mean buying right? Obviously, you want to buy right. Yeah, it's a no brainer. But what goes into buying right? So so, Phil, why don't you tell me what are your the first things you look for? I know in the office we talk about this every morning, mm-hmm. afternoon, and evening. <laughs> all we talk much, about. All we talk about is buying, right? That's most yep. of our job where it comes comes into play. But what, what's the first thing you look for? So uh, step one for a lot of clients, I mean, and this is not necessarily only on the, the Burr strategy, is knowing how you're going to finance this property, right? So if, if you know, let's say that you have a bank limit of 800000 and an A bank is going to be financing you, so you're Scotia's, your CIBC's, your TD's, your RBC's, et cetera, are, are going to be financing this property. You need to know your, your purchasing limit, one. So by, by having that, you're, allowed, you're able to create a much more narrow sandbox to go shopping in. Uh, but more importantly, because these properties are typically the ones that are going to be in a bit of a state of disrepair, knowing your, your financing strategy is going gonna, is gonna to help in that you want to make sure this property is going to appraise, Right. So purchasing too expensive is going to cause you one issue from an appraisal because the appraisal might not come in equaling the value. That happened a lot in 2016, right? Late 2016, early 2017, the prices were skyrocketing so fast that appraisers did not have the comparable properties to, to back check it on. So they would end up coming back with a lot of buyers would have to add additional cash, right? Because if the, let's say you purchase a property for a million and it's only worth 900,000 says the appraiser, the bank's only going to give you their mortgage, their 80% based on the 900,000. So that additional capital between what you purchased it for and what the bank's going to be mortgaging, you need to come up with. So and, in your and scenario, that's $100,000 that that's just have somebody to, you must you just might, you have, might to have, have to have or you're going to have to drop the deal and, and let's depending hope you on the conditions firm. you have in yeah. your offer that led to a lot of uh very hard times on people. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of guys are going in firm too. Yeah, right? if you go in firm, so those of you who don't know, when you go in firm, it means there are no conditions. That means you're it's a done deal pr- practically. You yeah. wait until closing day and it's yours. There's nothing that could really stop that. Yeah. Uh, that's why conditions are very important to mitigate times like this. Yeah. I mean, sometimes going firm is good. It, you it, just you need to make sure your ducks are 110% in a row. Yes. You, you can't go in firm if you're uncertain about your financing, if... You're uncertain that it will appraise for that value. Mm-hmm. Anything small like that, even home inspections, you have to be okay with anything that pops up on your yeah. home inspection. 
there might be a leaky basement you didn't know you have to be okay with that if it's your problem now it's your problem yep and uh what happened in 2016 like you said a lot of people didn't know yeah They, they they didn't know really they just assumed that the market was so strong and everything was going well that it came back and haunted a lot of people where oh, they yeah. got stuck well, with properties that they stuck with afford. a property they couldn't close on it so they lost their deposit or let's say exactly you get stuck with uh stuck with a property and you now can't pull money out or you're selling it at a loss in the next year because the market came down so quickly right after that um but uh the the real reason i mentioned the, the appraisal is because if a property is in such bad shape, A, banks really only want to lend on things they know they're going to be able to sell and get their money back out, worst case scenario, right? So let's say a property is in in such bad shape, the roof has a hole in it, and there is a leaky basement that's got mold everywhere. We can, as an investor, we can put a number to that and say, it's going to cost us X to fix this. I just build that into my numbers, no problem, Right. Let's say you think you're good to go on the financing side. The bank goes through. The bank's going to do an appraisal. And then they're going to come back and say, oh, it has this problem, this problem, and this problem. And unless they're fixed, we're not going to finance the property. Well, the seller's likely not going to go and fix that before you close. So you've now lost yourself the lending opportunity from, from an A bank. And you might have to investigate private mortgages. If you haven't already started looking into that, your timing is probably going to be a bit of in, in, in trouble. And that, that mean, again, making sure you just have all that stuff squared away from, from day one. If you're going to be looking into properties that are a little bit more in disrepair, keep your financing window, make sure your appraiser comes back positive before firming up on the property, or know you have a, uh, a private money back, like somebody else that's going to, uh, to do the private money. And there is mortgage brokers out there that specify in private mortgages. I suggest looking for one of those if this is the type of... Uh, strategy just so you have somebody as a backup right goal is always to get a bank financing much cheaper uh but you may not always have that option and just because it needs private money doesn't make it a bad deal right so let's let's circle back actually so so the first thing you said is get a pre-approval to know your limits Mm -hmm. um now that that's usually what we uh tell our clients either first meeting after the first meeting that's their next step you know talk to the different banks talk to a mortgage broker figure figure things out, uh, or even before our first meeting. So what else is important about that? I, I understand it gives you kind of a rough estimate of what mm-hmm. you can look for, but what else does that allow, let's say you, for example, in your profession, how does that yeah. help you out? So I, us as, as agents, it, it lets us know that this person is serious, right? We're, we're taking, especially with what we do, we take a lot of time to educate the client up front to show them through many, many different properties. If this person isn't necessarily ready to pull the trigger on a property that with their, with their financing, then there's an opportunity that could be missed yeah. from, a, from a property. A lot of times, if a property is an amazing, like a smoking hot deal, and there isn't an offer date on that property, it's going to be gone within a day or two. If this person doesn't have their financing squared away, they don't know how much they can purchase, it's going to take a mortgage broker more than five business days in a lot of cases to get a fresh file to completion, to approval, right? So if, you're, if you've already gone to them and they have all of your information, they've given you a ballpark to work in, likelihood is you're going to be able to pull the trigger much faster when you see that property. You just, uh, you actually just touched on something and it was, uh, whoa, you just said something and I totally lost <laughs> it, damn. Um, it was, oh, 
What, were you, what you just pre-approvals and no pre-approvals. Five days it takes five to get your stuff squared away. Your, no, no, no. It was it was pretty important. I, I wanted to jump in on it because it's something that we said we would talk about, and it was a perfect segue. But oh. this is this is me not. This, this is, is what happens blanking. when you don't drink enough coffee, coffee. in the morning of. I know. I was just like thinking about it. and Going to a podcast, someone, super tired. <laughs> uh, my bad. My bad, everybody. So, okay. We, we talked about pre-approvals. We'll circle yep. back again and we'll start cool. from there. So, the ball's rolling. You have uh, the properties. I'll, I'll touch on that actually too. Because cool. so, so, as you said, it gives us an estimate of what you're looking for and, how, you know, what is it? Casino Rama. Know your limit. Play within it. Yes. That's what <laughs> they say. That's, that's it, right? Yeah, it's it saves both of us as as realtors, also the client, a lot of time mm-hmm. on, on wasted time, like, yeah. like a lot of wasted time that we don't need to be doing. Yeah, We're I can not see a deal mil- that's a million dollars and works great, but if your budget, you know, like if you're you can't get financing for a million dollars, no. then that's not worth anybody looking at, right? Yeah, and it, it's it's really not it's not worth anybody's time. It's yeah. just wasting time. So so you know that. that you know what to look for. You know what you're going to get. And you know what your returns are going to be. So you have a, a nice painted picture. You know, mm-hmm. Start with the end in mind and work your way to that end. Yep. That pre-approval gives you that end. So uh, buying right, again, it's, it's pretty basic. Uh, that was our first step. Now, what's yep. the second step? Where do we go from here? You got your pre-approval. You're all ready to go. Let's say uh, for just for our own example, let's yep. say we're pre-approved for 800000 now. Cool. So we're, we're pre-approved for 800000 Your agent, in this case one of us, is going to go shopping. We're, we're going to be, we, we look for deals. I mean, and most agents should be doing this, looking every single day, sometimes multiple times a day because deals get posted at different times in the day. So we're going to be looking every day for a deal that fits for you within your criteria, right? Within your price range, within the rents that you're going to need to get for that property, within your conversion budget, sometimes... Some people have, you know, a little bit less capital to work with or a little bit less of an appetite for technical uh, break. <laughs> yeah, a little audio repair break. Anyways, we were talking about by the time we find a property that works for you, we're, we're going to then be looking at making an offer after you've seen the place, right? You've seen it. We've crunched the numbers. We know it works for you. It's offer time. What happens at offer time? Well, there is a lot of different things that can happen at offer time. Uh, there are two, two very distinct, I would say, listing methods nowadays. Uh, at you're, you're, you're tending to see a lot of guys, you've, heard, you've probably heard of these bidding wars, right? The reason a lot of these bidding wars are happening is an agent will list a property under market value. Let's say the place is actually worth eight. Agent's going to list it for seven, six ninety nine, with uh, with an offer date that's a week out, saying, hey, we're not looking at any offers until this date in the future. What that means basically is they want to get as many people as possible through that property so that on that one specific day, they're going to have as many people making offers and competing with each other and bidding each other up as possible. That's actually what what you said and that oh, I wanted okay. to touch on. Yeah, it was it was offer date versus no offer date. Gotcha. Just throwing that out there. I remembered. Okay. I'm he's, doing, he's, I'm, he's I'm back. been reminded. <laughs> he's back. He's awake. <laughs> now that we're there anyways. Uh, so offer date versus no offer date, right? Let's say you have a property with an offer date. What we're finding, at least in our current market, uh, there are some areas of the city that are far trendier than others, and we'll have an offer date on just about every property because an end user is going to want to live in mostly every property. And the ones that don't still want to live enough in the neighborhood that there's enough people willing to take on the project, right? 
some other markets like the ones that we invest in, a lot of people are trying to put offer dates on properties that shouldn't, that is, are not going to have enough of an interest uh, on an offer date to, to develop those multiple offers and to get them as much over asking as they had anticipated. And a lot of them are going past missing the offer date, having no offers, having offers that aren't quite what they expected. Uh, for us, a lot of the time, that's a very good time to strike on a property to, again, be able to purchase right. So actually, as a seller, it's not always in your best interest to have an offer date. No. So a lot of sellers now will kind of look for an offer day and say, hey, why mm-hmm. don't we have one? Well, it depends on the property, depends on the price range. And we've seen it in our, our area. I know I've seen it a yeah. bunch of times where actually people will have offer dates. So let's say a property is worth a million dollars. That's that's the market value. That's what it should be selling for. Yep. Uh, a lot of agents nowadays will put it for seven ninety nine. Yeah. something ridiculously low, knowing that over 50 people are going to come and see the property. Yep. There's going to be a lot of interest. But a lot of the times when those go, there was one that actually on uh, Arlington, okay. I believe. Uh, I'm not going to get too into details on it. But mm-hmm. uh, I remember we saw it. It was asking something way below. It was a really big, nice Arlington home. Right. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know where Arlington is, it's it's uh, St. Clair and... Um, Christie area, Christie area. Uh, it, yeah. it's it's a very nice street like big it's, homes it's a Toronto. nice home detached should be in like the mid ones in that area exactly right? so it was asking low ones okay um maybe it was even asking like nine, under yeah under one nuts so at, at first i was like wow there's no way it's gonna go for this low like there's no chance it doesn't even make sense mm-hmm. uh don't remember exactly the number it went for but it was extremely low and right. and we looked even my clients looked looked at it like, wow, like, did we miss out? Mm-hmm. Well, that's because my clients didn't want to go in on closing day and compete yep. with 10 other people. Yep. So I've, I've had that happen as well. I've had clients that are like, and agents have told me the same thing when I called them and I asked them, like, there was one that was listed for five ninety nine in the neighborhood, right? Yeah. Called the agent after she misses her offer date. Oh, well, nobody came because I priced it too low and they did not want to, they didn't want to compete with the hundreds of people, right? Or they had no idea where to price themselves because they were so far under asking that or under under market value that people just couldn't comprehend where to price. At that point, you might as well list it for a dollar, right? And that's that's the dangers of listing so low. For a lot of realtors, it's a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. They price your house low. It'll probably sell relatively fast, and they could say that they sold it you know, for a yeah. lot more yeah. over asking. That's that's what you see a lot. You see, yeah. oh, I sell everything over asking. Leverage that for their marketing. It, it doesn't. First of all, it doesn't make sense. If even if you if you price it correctly and you're five, ten, twenty grand under asking, mm-hmm. a lot of the times that's better than selling for yeah. over asking when you're asking hundreds of thousands of dollars less. Yeah. And you and you see it a lot right now. It's it's not a good look for realtors. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's an uninformed public that. We'll go to realtors like that because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, look, they're selling everything over asking. Yeah, yeah but you're actually losing $100,000. Some, pro- some properties it works, right? I'm not no, don't, not trying to say it's a strategy no, 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 that no. never works. It, is, it does uh, work. Especially in the end user market and very nicely finished turnkey properties when the, the bidding under asking is, is priced correctly. It's a it's a very powerful strategy that works and is getting a lot of agents many, many offers and far over asking. And, and the way you, you got to think about it is when you're buying a home as an investment, there's no emotion attached exactly. to it at all whatsoever. You have a number, and if it, if the offer exceeds that number, you walk away. No issue with that. You're right. done. You're happy. On to the next one. Where When you buy an end-user property, 
it's, it's all emotion. All emotion. Yeah. And that's why you see these higher prices. You you walk into the backyard and you go, oh, I, I can see my kids throwing the ball or yeah, my dog exactly. pissing somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, Whatever that's, that's what sells Helms. That's my <laughs> dog could piss here. This is a perfect beat pad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, you, you see that more in end-user yes. homes. So what's the other uh, what's the other scenario, right? You either have the offer day scenario or you have the traditional listing style, which is hey, property is listed, it's listed for what we believe is fair market value, and we're expecting to get at around that or maybe slightly less, right? Yes. Yep. These are the ones where you probably want to strike day one, day two, because you know they're not going to be waiting a few days for to be holding an offer date, and now those are. I would say majority of what we look for and the, the properties that we're looking at, because the, the wise agents are going to know the properties we look at, first of all, are in pretty rough shape. So wise agents going to know that end users aren't going to come in here and be all attracted to the property, not going to have multiple offer scenario, that type of thing. Um, so usually the first offers, they're all excited. Yeah, exactly. Any, excited. any offer is good un- until you, I mean, depending on how hard you're lowballing them, but yeah. most offers are good, right? Um, and so there's you, also the opposite too. So you said, you know, day zero, day one, day two yeah. on the market. Well, day zero is technically day one, mm-hmm. but zero days on the market, one day on the market, two day on the market. Yep. A lot of the times too, you find a property on with like 35 days on the yeah. market or 50 days on the market or uh, not so much in Toronto, maybe, maybe it's, Scarborough and Etobicoke, mm, more, more so Scarborough, you'll yeah. see like a hundred days on the market. Yeah. Those, you know, are overpriced. Yeah. That, that is your number one tell that. A property is overpriced when it's on the market that much it, it could even be that it's not overpriced on paper but what the seller and the agent want is actually more so we've actually yeah. seen that scenario too where something is listed let's say at a million dollars and you look at it and you go wow that's that's a good deal i'll do right. it and you get into negotiations and they go well actually we're going to sign this back at 1.2 that's what we want it makes absolutely no <laughs> sense like this is the most confusing thing about yeah. real estate I would say it is some agents price something so low and they won't accept that offer. It makes everybody look bad. Yeah. You bring your clients and you're like, yeah, okay, 1 million. Sure. There's no other offers. Yeah. We will. We're going in and asking. No problem. That's literally what they ask for. Yeah. And they go, no, we want 200,000 more or we want 50,000 or a hundred thousand more. And you're like, hold on. That's yeah. You literally asked me for this. (laughs) I said, okay, I'll give it to you. And you said, no, I want more. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. It's like going into Shark Tank and asking for a, you know, million dollars for twenty percent, and then someone says, "Hey, yeah, cool, no problem." And I'm like, "Wait, hold on, I want two million. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> you will that's give it to good. me? Oh shit! Uh, I'll take two. Thanks. Yeah, I actually wanted two. Psych. <laughs> now I know you would give me one. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense. And then you lose the deal. And then you lose. The Always deal. lose the deal. At least on Shark Tank. Yeah, real estate people actually pay for it sometimes, but sometimes. Anyway, so let's. I mean, maybe let's talk about a couple different scenarios that we've dealt with. Um, seller seller scenarios. I know when we, we were just talking about properties that were listed for way too long on the market. Property that I purchased uh, with with a partnership, not the recent one, but maybe a year and a half, two years ago or so, with uh, some guys from the office. We had there was one but ugly property listed too high at 660 that was too high yeah Mm -hmm. i know um at at 660 i mean the guy had smoked in every room of the house doors doors closed like it was quite fun handyman special everywhere finished the attic off himself knob and tube this and that had our our inspector did a moisture reading in the basement 99 percent along the 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 wall that's in the yeah it was 
it was fun. Sounds so these guys terrible. were on the market for like a month and a half. I mean, we Which tried... Which is like a long time. for Yeah, for, for Toronto real estate to be on the market for a month and a half with no action is a long time. We were able to go in. We kind of had the understanding that the agent was going to be repricing the property soon because at this point, his sellers were actually leaving the country and they had to deal, find a way to sell this thing soon, right? So we were able to get it locked up at 605, 60K or say 55K under asking nice. after an inspection, got it down to 590. <laughs> So, I mean, <laughs> pretty, pretty significant low ball and a pretty, pretty good deal. I mean, deal of the at year the, at that point. At the end, yeah. Um, all things considered. All because, again, this is a, it was priced too high to begin with. So these guys now had to carry the property for an extra month or two, lost money on that. And likely if they were priced probably around the 620 mark, they probably, from day one, they probably would have landed in the 610 to 620 mark to begin with, right? So they would have saved a month, yeah. got more money. Got more money, but they started too high, and they sat, and they sat, and they sat, and then eventually you get to a point of desperation where two things happen. You're desperate to sell, and you sat on the market for so long that you've kind of tarnished the property's reputation a little bit. Yeah. Other people look at it, and they say, whoa, 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 hold on. Why is it on the market for so long? Something must be really wrong with this place, right? Which usually there is. Is usually the case. And, and then... Uh, or it's been overpriced. Or it's Some, been the way, property could which, be perfect, which is something. To, but it could have been yeah. way overpriced, right? Exactly. And then if you're able to kind of catch that seller in a, in that moment of weakness where they're going to be bringing the price down anyways, um, but before anybody else on the market is aware of that, then a lot of times you can strike a good deal that way. Um, we've had other properties where multiple offers happened, the seller did not get their price. So this was a this was a good one. actually one of my favorite ones. Multiple offer happened. This was the property that was listed at five ninety nine. I mean, I we knew it was worth close to seven, if not a hair over seven. But the agent sets her offer date on the day of the Raptors parade. <laughs> <laughs> so not a single soul came to to make an offer on that property for two reasons. One, because everybody was not home and not dealing with any kind of real estate transaction that day. Yes. And for the second reason, she was priced so far under market value, nobody knew where to actually place their offers if they were to bring any, right? So that that hits. Her sellers go, what the hell? I thought it was going to sell like crazy if you put an offer date on this thing, right? And we put it so cheap. What's going on? Should have at least had some offers. No offers. Phil comes in the next day, says, hey, what's going on? figure out what's going on. She's going to be relisting it, make an offer at a little bit closer to fair market value once it's relisted, which I think in this case was 680, 685, somewhere in that ballpark. Gets accepted the same day. Lots of conditions. Go through our conditions, firm up, and away we go. Happy happy buyer and happy-ish seller. So, okay, let's go back to conditions now. Yeah. Um, there's usually two conditions that I look for, uh, as especially in investment, but... Uh, more so almost standard conditions that yeah. we use for almost every client. Yep. And that would be financing. And inspection. And inspection. Those are the two that you usually get. I mean, financing sometimes you can get away with if you know you're qualified. You're, yeah. You're absolutely certain. You're super confident. You make a lot of money mm-hmm. and you have money in the bank and whatever. That Sometimes you can get away with getting rid of that, which does strengthen your offer. Yes. Uh, the less, The least amount of conditions you have the better your offer is mm-hmm. because the stronger it's going to look to the seller. Exactly. It, it Sometimes that could even save you some money on it. Yep. I mean, uh, you offer me $1 million for a property, but you have 10 
conditions or someone else offers me 990 yeah. no conditions i'll probably just go you know what i'll, I'll take the sure thing 990 i'll, I'll take it yeah the, be- i know i have that 990 yeah because I, I know the risk is going to be hey maybe this guy had a million backs out a week week and a half later by the time this guy is gone my 990 guy is also gone on to something else. Exactly. Right? So then you might have to settle for 980 or whatever it yeah. is. And then you're long on the market and then you start getting into those other problems again. Yes. So so it's timing is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, conditions are important though, especially as an investor. You want to be sure that you could afford it. So financing. And you yeah. want to be... You want to have a good idea of what you're going to be spending on the property before you close. Yes. So inspections give you that good idea. Yeah. You'll, you'll know what's wet in the basement, where it might need to be fixed, what you can get away with, mm-hmm. uh, if everything's in good shape, is it knob and tube, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. There's a lot of things that you can look for. And, and inspections uh, sort of give you that safety net of, this is what's wrong. And yeah. inspectors are very good at their jobs. Most. I mean, most. So the ones that we will recommend month, are very yeah, good at the their jobs. The ones job. that we work with are very good. I mean, they, they go into every inch of the house and they oh, look yeah. at it and it's crazy i mean i was just at an inspection as i said and had to climb in the roof with the old uh insulation oh, yeah. and it's just it's not something that's fun uh for no. most people i guess yeah. inspectors love it they, and they must enjoy what they're doing yeah and good money to do it and so so yeah those are the two are there any other clauses that you or, any, or conditions um, that you'd like a, to add sometimes there's things like surveys that i want to be surveys, looking at depending yes. on if if maybe it's a little bit of an odd uh odd layout of the land there or if there are some strange you know maybe there's some other structures on the property some of these areas we look at have a lot of elevation changes between two different properties so things like retaining walls i want to know where does my responsibility lie is it this retaining wall this retaining wall this retaining wall um those are those are some big ones sometimes lawyer review is a is a thing that's kind of just a blanket generic clause what do you like to do now before every deal Oh, I'm checking permits. I'm checking if uh, after a recent hiccup that one day we'll talk about, uh, I, I check. There's a city website, at least in Toronto. I'm sure most municipalities have it uh, to look for open open building permits and violations on a property. Uh, because as I had learned in the very hard way, some banks will not finance. Most will not finance you if there are open permits and and city violations on a property. And instead of finding that out, you know, two weeks from closing when you do when your lawyer does the title search. A lot of times you can just look before you even make an offer online to see, hey, is there any open permits? Is there violations? And you can kind of judge accordingly, right? A little pro tip too with the inspection thing. If you and the, it, By the time you get to an inspection, right, you've already likely been through a property one or more times. You can put together a brief scope of work for your game plan for what your contractor is going to do. Bring your contractor with you. This way you're not going to be going back and forth a few times and getting maybe a ballpark, then that number goes up and up and up. By the time you actually firm up on the or close on the property, sorry, you can figure out if you have a good scope of work. You bring your contractor; he's there with the inspector. So when anything pops up that the inspector notices, you can just pass that information along. Ideally, if you can get a, a, a firm quote before you have to firm up on the property, that that should make things a little bit more solid in terms of your numbers, right? For sure. And then you can you can get them to quote the items right there if you need to do some other negotiation. And then another thing to note on the um, the financing clause, it's not only it's not only good to know that hey you're able to get the financing. One of the biggest things that I'm looking for the financing clause for is the appraisal coming back correct, for for two reasons. Sometimes a lot of uh, a lot of clients are as they're especially as you're just jumping into net, let's say property number one. If you're going to be using 
the income from the property as a leverage to help you qualify for more property. Which means which means that you're going to be using, let's say, the rental income yeah. from, so let's say, the two units. Mm-hmm. You're, gonna so say, you're claiming I'm also it's a rental. Yes. We know it's going to rent for, let's call it $4,000. The appraisal will never come back accurate to market rents. They're always going to be super conservative because they work to protect the banks, right? So especially when it comes to boosting your income on paper, they want to make sure they are as conservative as possible. So if the if that income, if that number of the rent number from the appraisal is going to be an important factor, you want to make sure that appraisal is done before you have to firm up because if the numbers yeah. don't come back, you're in trouble. Second reason, if you don't have a private lender, let's say on the on the backside, if your appraiser comes back and he says, "Oh, hey, this property is in absolutely terrible shape." bank, you shouldn't finance this, or the bank sees what's in the appraisal report and decides not to finance it. If you don't have a, a, what do you call it, a finance condition to back out on, you could be in trouble there as well, right? Yep, and you do see that sometimes. That Mm -hmm. does happen. Yeah, less so nowadays with the whole paying more than the property's worth. Usually nowadays the appraisals are coming in. I mean, uh, you won't really see appraisals go over what it's worth. They usually just go, yep, it is worth what they bought it for. That's it. And that's that's fine. That's all you want. That's that's the main goal. And I would say in Toronto, unless you're extremely overpaying, mm-hmm. you have a good chance of hitting that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Toronto's, again, a booming market. So so there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's a good chance. Yeah. I'm just, I'm more worried about will the bank finance, period. No, nothing to do with value. Yeah. And do, do those rent numbers come back enough to support you qualifying for this property, right? If those two things are there, you're in good shape. If you're in a point where you could buy the property cash or with a private lender and you don't care, then, I mean, maybe you don't need that, uh, that condition. But always where, it's, where available, take, take the conditions, right? So that's the bulk of the B. Now, I, I want to I talk about um, some differences from the U.S. to mm-hmm. Canada. Um, and specifically, not even all of Canada. I would say Toronto and GTA. I'm sure there's... Uh, lower valued markets that a lot of this does apply, but it's a little bit different. For example, you hear it a lot, especially with flippers, the 70% rule, sometimes 80% rule. Uh, What that means is you want to buy a property for 70% of the market value. That is that initial B buying right. That's what they say is really good to do. Now in Toronto, that is, Really, 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 really hard to do. Say near impossible. Near impossible. <laughs> uh, if you're buying properties for seventy percent of what they're valued at, you're practically hitting a home run to start. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it's not it's not bad to look for those. I mean, that's what we look for all the time. Yep. I mean, you're gonna find a couple that pop up. Will they sell for that? Probably not, because yeah. there's gonna be three or four other agents that are like, I want to yeah, exactly. buy this too, or jump on it. If they're seventy to eighty percent of of market value, they probably have an offer date on it. And they're probably expecting exactly. two hundred thousand over, right? Exactly. So so don't get discouraged. I know. Uh, Again, we keep going back to bigger pockets, but mm-hmm. uh, they seem to be the biggest real estate podcast to listen to, most yep. uh, popular. Now, don't get discouraged if you're in Toronto and think that that's what you need to have happen so that you can be successful in investing yeah. in real estate because you don't need that to happen. When you're buying properties for 200000 or 150000 like rural America or mm-hmm. even r- rural Canada, Ontario, let's say, yeah. um, it could be done a little bit more so because the difference is, 40 grand maybe right. on the price 50 grand you know it's it's worth 200 grand and you're buying for 150 that's a huge difference right there mm-hmm. that's 25 percent. so 
I mean, you could find that in Toronto where they're million dollar properties. Yeah, you're, you're not talking f- about a difference of three hundred thousand dollars. A seller's not going to leave. Just leave. No, in, in most cases. In most cases, you it, might find yeah. it. And I mean, you found some that are, you know, I would say eighty percent. Yeah, you eighty found, in the eighty day, above. But I mean, to, especially to find those seventy percent gold mines and things for a seller to think leaving, you know, three hundred grand on the table is uh, is a wise decision is very very rare. And I think one of the larger, to, I guess, two of the larger things for Canada and Canadians versus uh, versus Americans and the way that they purchase investment properties is, one, we have very little access to public information, if you will. So there's not nearly as many guys that are going to get a, a tax default list or uh, any any of those kind of amazing lists that you can access in the States and farm that mailing list, right? Yeah. We don't have access to that type of information. Uh, far less, you know, bank step auctions and those th- those types of things, and even the ones that do happen, not necessarily the the greatest deals available. I think the biggest difference, though, is in our power of sale process compared to the American's foreclosure process. So, for those that don't know, foreclosure in Canada almost doesn't exist. I believe there is a way that it can happen, but it is extremely rare. of these transactions are done through what's called a power of sale. So uh, both foreclosure and power of sale kind of start out the same way, right? Someone's not going to pay the, not going to be paying their mortgage. The bank's eventually going to get fed up with it and say, hey, we're selling this house uh, on the, on the open market, or we're selling this house in some way, shape or form so that we get our money back out and seller, you move on type of thing, or sorry, uh, owner, you move on away from the property. Foreclosure, a lot of times in the states, it's quick kicks the kicks the owner out quite quickly. And when you're selling a foreclosure, you can all the bank has to do is make their money back, right? All they have to do is sell it for whatever the loan is. So if you lived in the place for 15 or 20 years and you bought it for let's call it 500 grand and you only owe 200 on it, the bank is happy to sell it for 200, get their money back and move on. If in the same scenario, in Canada, if you own, if you bought a property for five hundred grand and you own two hundred on it, but the current market value is seven hundred, let's say, the bank can't just go and sell it for two hundred grand. No, uh, and you'll see this a lot with people that are kind of new to the Canadian flipping market, if you will. Yeah, yeah, they try and target those power of sales, and they think, oh my god, I'm going to get a swinging deal, right? Oh, it's a power of sale. The bank's selling it. They take all this information from the U.S. podcasts and things. And I think they can just make any any dirt lowball offer. The bank's going to look at it. They're going to say, no, thanks, bye. And <laughs> it's just going to sit on the market, sit on the market, sit on the market. And eventually they will drop it by like 5%. And it's going to sit on the market for another three months. And eventually they'll drop it for 5%. And it's just going to sit on the market. The bank has to make sure the seller gets, you know, you have to be selling it for what's fair market value yes or assumed very close to fair market value, and they have to do the proper due diligence when they're going to be lowering the price. Which is a really good safety net for sellers uh, in Mm -hmm. the scenario that you do have to uh, give up your house to the bank. Now, the bank can't just sell it, get back their money, and then you're literally screwed. Mm -hmm. You do get some sort of reward or whatever monetary value back so that you're not left with nothing out of the process. You're pretty much forced to sell and you get what you get instead of being kicked out of your home. That's the difference. So in the States, you're just kicked out. 
and here and they sell you for sell for whatever they can sell get for back, whatever and it's you just, don't get anything out of it. they're just looking the day, right? out for their box yeah not yours canada they look out for everybody it helps protect our real estate market too right because yes. you don't see those monster swings in in exactly, pricing yeah. of like on the same street you could have a house that sold for 700 and you could have another house that sold for 400 yeah. right even though those houses were almost identical just because it, one was foreclosed on and sold uh you that the homes it's very easy to comp a home around here that's you know even if it was power of sale right and there are a lot of other non-power of sale very similar government bodies that can force a sale of a home uh ontario public guardian and trustee is another one i know uh an agent that does almost all of their listings and even even he would say you know you you might be lucky to get four percent lower than market value yeah, right? you and, don't, and you're going through a real long, rigorous process to even get that. You, yeah, it's not necessarily that you're getting a deal, a, a great deal. Yeah, it's, it's almost just, harder to get a good deal yeah. because there's so many regulations in place to deal with that than to just go find another seller who's kind of already in a rough spot or just doesn't care so much and is willing to just let go of the property quickly on on an MLS. Right. I want to I want to touch on the seventy to eighty percent rule again. The seventy percent yeah. rule will say uh, a good way to look at it is something that we did touch on and we did say was that if you're if it's a million dollar property and uh, you're buying it for nine hundred thousand, that's ninety percent mm-hmm. of what it's worth. That's a hundred thousand dollars difference. Yeah. Okay. So so keep that in mind. You buy a property for one hundred thousand dollars. And you buy it for seventy thousand dollars. That's thirty thousand dollars difference, right. and that's seventy percent of the value. Right. So you're saving thirty thousand dollars, which is seventy yep. percent still, that, or thirty percent. But you're you're buying it for seventy percent, or you buy it for ninety percent of the Toronto value, right. and you're saving a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. So it, it's again, it, it's you're you're comparing, you know, apples and bananas, bananas, pineapples, whatever. No, they still say apple. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Pineapples and apples. It's, yeah, you, you it's still picked. real estate. It's just in a different spot. <laughs> okay, on that note. We're, uh, we're tired, guys. Yeah, yeah this we're has t- been, it's, it's really hot in here. It's been a long uh, Monday. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Didn't get a great sleep last night. What else did we... That's uh, that's pretty much. Let's we'll wrap up the the B and the bur, B. the buy yeah. and bur. I think one la- one last thing that's worth worth mentioning is, uh, and I mean we kind of hinted at it throughout the rest of this is you want to buy value, right? Buy v- an undervalued property, or what I'll say is maybe an underutilized property. Underutilized. I I want yeah. I think that's what you have to focus on mm-hmm. for everybody listening right now. It's easy to say buy undervalue mm-hmm. you're, you're like obviously i want to buy something that's yeah of course lower. but but explain that a little under further. so like underutilization of a property let's say which is super important again huge, i like this hugely, i like, I like that you, you're using that word <laughs> so let's say you as an investor are looking for a ca- high cash flow rental property and this does kind of fits into our model very frequently we see these three bedroom homes that have three bedrooms on the top floor a living room and a dining room on the main floor, uh, and then you know your usual basement, which is going to be carved out into its own separate unit. Uh, living room. This is the just the easiest example, and I know Brendan Turner on uh, Bigger Pockets talks about this as well. Finding you know a thousand or twelve hundred square foot house that has two bedrooms, and finding a third because you know with that square footage there is a third bedroom left available somewhere. We do basically the same thing. We'll take a three and we'll turn it into a four because we know 
most of our tenants are not going to be operating a di- like a full dining set. It's just a dead room. In most houses nowadays, it's, I mean, tell me the, the last formal, time you used yeah. your formal dining room. Formal dining rooms are, are sort of a thing of the past. Yeah. It's more of just like a decorative piece, a decorative Right, room, exactly. Which, in my opinion, is a huge waste of space in a rental property. Monster waste of space. A giant waste right? of space. And with, with, in a lot of these properties, all you need to do is slap up some drywall and throw on a door. Yeah. And away you go. You have a you have an additional bedroom. Yeah. Sometimes and that's the biggest room in the house. Too. Yeah, it usually is. Yeah. The one on the main floor, front window. Yeah. That's that's in a lot of cases an extra like six to eight hundred bucks on your on your rents, which for a lot of people buying properties in Toronto, for example, could be the difference from break even and a significant cash flow. Yeah, almost a thousand dollars a month. Just just in adding drywall and a door. Right. Yeah, that and just one from time being able feed. to see that underutilized space. And turning it into something that could be used a little bit better. I like that point. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're going to wrap up the B and Burr. Uh, that was that's a rough primer of it. I think I think actually we we got into good detail on it. Yeah. Um, and if you do want to know more, you can contact us and we can go into more detail on it. Um, and there's other ways of learning about it too. Do your own research and and just keep your eyes open. Listen to what we said in this. Uh, it is pretty important, again, looking at the value, uh, utilization, uh, buying right properties, the right areas. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a, a big part of your investing strategy, especially if you want to burr and repeat the process. Yes. That's that's big on the B. Buy. Buy. <laughs> big on Buy-ing. the B. Buy. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about uh, what's been in the news lately before we wrap this up. Toronto news. Well, I don't know if anybody remembers. It must have been like six months. It must have been like (laughs) a year ago, year and a half ago at this point. Uh, The genius that decided to go swimming at the Ripley's Aquarium with the sharks, butt-ass naked. The naked shark man. The the naked shark guy. Dave, (laughs) I believe, is his name. I don't know his last name. I just know his name is Dave. Apparently, he's a BC guy, I guess. He was only here for a, a short while to, to go swim. for a little bit of a dip and then take off back home. His trial just wrapped up. I don't even know why we're talking about this, but it's hilarious. It is pretty funny. Guys, guys, trial wraps up. He gets a year probation. Not he, bad. Not, not bad. All, not, not bad, bad. for going swimming butt naked <laughs> with I sharks. Rip, he's, he's lucky to be alive, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he gets, gets a year probation, no jail time. Walks out of the court with a quote like, just another day in the life of Dave. <laughs> this guy's a fucking beauty. <laughs> yeah, the guy's a gem. We should have him on we the We should pod. have Dave on the pod. If anybody uh, knows Dave the shark guy, naked shark hook man. us up. Uh, I don't know. If, uh, is he going to come naked I'd, here? Does, uh, is that just the thing he does? I'd be okay if he was maybe topless. Tops. That's yeah. the word. No, no still. It's, <laughs> it's too hot in here to have a sweaty yeah, naked Yeah, sweaty naked guy. Maybe he'll bring his shark pals. <sighs> Okay, also, (laughs) anyways, uh, Oktoberfest is uh, reaching Ontario Place. In September. uh, September 26th to 28th, yeah, so (laughs) Septemberfest. Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't really make sense, but... Say la vie. Not much does. Sausages, beer, October-y things. Yeah, check it out. Ontario Place. And what else happened? Last week, oh baby, for those dog lovers... This ha- I think this happens every year. Trinity Bellwoods had a pug grumble, I think they called it. <laughs> it like, just basically a swarm of pugs take over Trinity Bellwoods. Oh, I wish I went. So if you're into pugs, tiny, tiny doggos, I'm pugs. sure it's adorable. Yeah, I know. If you're not into pugs, you're the worst. Go jump in the wo- shark tank. The shark tank. Dave. <laughs> Go pull a Dave. <laughs> That's it now. 
Yeah. But I mean, good. that's, I mean, a day in the life of a Torontonian. You have <laughs> pugs, sausages in September, and naked, naked shark guys <laughs> named Dave. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for bearing with us <laughs> on another episode of Phil and the Kid. Uh, again, you can find me at Spiro Vicellis on Instagram or Spiro Vicellis at Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, or check out my website, SpiroVicellis.com. How about you, Phil? Same, same spots. Not Spiro, obviously, but <laughs> Phil, Phil Gardner on uh, on Facebook, LinkedIn, PhilG.re on Instagram, and uh, PhilGardner.ca. So so before we just finish it up, uh, we're going to be having an episode. We have our first guest next week. We do. And uh, so that's dropping. You want to talk about her first? I mean, I'll give her a, a brief intro. I'm sure a lot of our listeners do know if they, they know me from other circles. Monica Jazik from Real Property Investments is going to be on talking about her story, what she's doing, and uh, and an event she's hosting in November for uh, for her members. Yep. We'll so get into more detail next week. Super happy to, happy to have her on as our first guest. And, yeah. Uh, Lucky her. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have more coming in the near future. But uh, again, guys, thanks for listening, and uh, I think we're done. Yeah, take care. Woo! You can find us on YouTube, iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Make sure to comment, like, share, and subscribe. Thank you.